0: Good morning. Thank you. How are we doing? Great. Good. Okay. Anyone not doing okay? Good. Yvonne, um, I'm really glad you're here this morning. I was praying this week and you kept popping into my mind. And so I'm like, okay, God, you've got a word for her. And the picture I had for you was a jack-in-the-box, you know, those ones where the toy's in it, and you wind it, and you wind it, and you wind it, and you don't know when the jack-in-the-box is of going to come out. And I felt that God was saying to you, you've been in a season where you've been in the box, and you've been winding it, and you've been doing everything you can to get out of the box, and you're still in the box. And God is saying that this next season that you're walking into is you coming out of the box. There's going to be a grace on your life. There's going to be, um, going to be power in your words. And I believe that you're going to speak healing over people's lives. So be encouraged. It's oh, always a good way to start, right? Okay. You'll have to excuse me if I'm a little bit slow with my notes this morning. I went to see the optometrist last week. Um, and I'm sure he was all of about 12, the guy that checked my eyes. <laughs> I was like, did your mum pack your lunch? But anyway, he checked my eyes and he said that I've got healthy eyes and they're great and they're amazing, but I'm getting old. <sighs> so I've got new glasses coming. And to be honest, I'm too proud to wear my old ones. I put them on the other day and Gracie was like, mum... You look like that secretary of Monsters, Inc. You know the... Mike Wazowski. <clears throat> and so I am glassesless today. Is that a word? So, um, yeah. Please be with me. I love gifts. Like, I just... I love giving them. I love receiving them. I love watching people open gifts. And so this morning when I was preparing, I really felt that I needed a gift to give somebody. And I know that you're not meant to play favourites, but Gracie is my favourite daughter. And so I want to give her this gift. Yep, I want you to open it. I've put a lot of thought into this gift, like I've been mulling over it and praying about it. and And I really feel that it's for you. So, I want you to open it. Okay. That's fine. I've given Gracie a gift, and hopefully she'll open it so we can all see what's in it by the end of the service. Last time I shared with you guys, it was um, pretty heavy. It wasn't a very light topic. So, this morning, I thought I would keep it a little bit lighter, and I thought we would get into the book of Revelation. I'm like, thank you, God. Like, really? <clears throat> but I think sometimes when it comes to the book of Revelation, we tend to avoid it. You know, we think that it's all doom and gloom and that there's some pretty heavy stuff in there. And, and that is true. A couple of the verses I looked up, it says, whoa, Woe, O great city of Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. It's like, wow. Yeah, that's really light. But thankfully, we're not looking at that one this morning. But you know, there's other verses about the first beast comes out of the sea and it's got ten horns and seven heads, and then the second beast comes and it comes with horns like a lamb, but the voice of a dragon. It's like, wow, okay, God. The more I looked into the book of Revelation, the more I realized that actually it's a book of hope. John proclaims that our victorious Lord is going to return and vindicate the righteous and judge the wicked, which as believers, this should give us hope. In saying that, the book of Revelation is also a warning. Things were not as they should have been in the churches, and so Christ called the members to commit themselves to live in righteousness. In the seven letters to the church, churches of Asia Minor at the start of the book of Revelation, he both commends them for their strengths and warns them about their flaws. Each letter was directed to a church then in existence, but it also speaks to the conditions in the church throughout history. And actually, it speaks to us in our own personal walk with God today. Both in church and in our individual lives, We must constantly fight against the temptation to become loveless, to become immoral, to become lenient, compromising, lifeless, and to become casual about our faith. The letters in this book makes it really clear how God feels about these qualities. And as a church here at North End, this is still relevant to us today. We are on a journey to greater things And for that to happen, we all need to be on the same page. We all need to have the same rhythm so that we're all beating to the same drum. As we're talking about this year, our rhythm defines us and we want to be a church who's sold out for Jesus without compromise. We all believe in Christ and that's going to look different for each one of us. But I believe that God is asking us to come into an alignment With what we stand for as a church and what we don't stand for. We're to be united with our beliefs so the enemy cannot cause division. The passage I want to look at this morning is not one about beasts and woe is me's. Yeah, I'm kind of thankful for that too. (laughs) Next time, Ash. But it is still very, very powerful. This morning, I want us to look at Revelation 2, where John is speaking to the church at Ephesus. Gracie, have you got that gift, baby? Have you opened it yet? No? Okay. Now, we know that from the book of Acts, um, specifically Acts 19, that Paul started the church in Ephesus, and he was there for about two years. We also know that Paul wrote to the Ephesians while he was in prison in Rome. And so we know that to be the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is actually one of my favorites. And it is written as as an encouragement to the Christians in Ephesus by explaining the nature and purposes of the church, which is the body of Christ. In this book, Paul writes how we are made alive in Christ. He writes about our true identity and how we are one in Christ and how there needs to be unity in the body. He writes to them about how they should live their lives and how they are to be imitators of Christ, which is what Jamie talked about last week. It talks of how husbands and wives should treat each other and how children should treat their parents. And it finishes with those awesome verses we know so well about putting the armour of God on. Paul wrote a lot of words on how to live well. And he spelt it out pretty clearly for the church of Ephesus, so they knew how they should live. But then John writes to them again in Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7. So if you've got your Bibles, you can swipe, move there. It's right at the back, you can't miss it. Revelation 2, 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but you are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you, and I will remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There's a lot in those verses, which we are just not going to have time to unpack today. But what I love about this is he starts off with commending them all for the good things that they're doing. You know, they have taken note of what Paul said back in Ephesians, and they have been living by it. He has seen how they worked hard and that they have persevered through hard times. He acknowledges how they have not tolerated wicked men and how they haven't grown weary. You know, sometimes we can look at these verses and go, well, actually, they had it pretty easy back then. They they knew how to live and they didn't have as much to deal with as we do these days. But the more research I did, the more I discovered. And over a long period of time, the church in Ephesus Ephesus had strongly refused to tolerate sin amongst its members. Now this was not easy for them because they were living in a city that was noted for its immoral sexual practices and they were associated with the worship of the goddess Artemis. Artemis was a goddess of fertility and she was represented in a huge statue in one of the great temples in Ephesus. In fact, the temple was so ornate That it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world The temple was so grand that it had 127 pillars Each of those pillars was 60 foot tall And was adorned with amazing sculptures It would have been a sight to behold Every year they had a festival which they called the Festival of Artemis Which involved things that I will not repeat this morning It was not good She was a pagan deity that brought in a lot of money for the city, and so when Paul came and preached, a man called Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen got really upset with Paul. Now, it wasn't necessarily that they disagreed with what Paul was preaching, but with what Paul was preaching, it stopped the sale of their idols, and so they were not happy; they were losing money. So they started to stir up a lot of trouble for Paul, and it's a really it's a cool story, you know, when you see what happens. And it's in Acts 19 if you want to read it. But the point of telling you that this morning is to show you that it wasn't an easy city to live in. They were definitely not living in utopia. And they were doing a great job in keeping their members away from sin, but it was not an easy place to live. And so in the book of Revelation, John commends them for the good things that they had done. But the bit that I really want to focus on this morning was in Revelation 2, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Yep, the church in Ephesus were doing great things. They were keeping their people out of the clutches of sin. They were keeping them away from their ornate, humongous temples that would offer them worldly pleasures. But for them... And for us today, there is so much more to calling ourselves a Christian than just staying away from blatant sin. We can keep ourselves busy with doing good works, but are we doing it with the wrong motive? All that we do must be done for God. It must be motivated by love for him, or it will not last. Yep, it's really great to stay away from sin, it is awesome to serve in church and it is great to, to actually be in church. But if we're not doing it for God, then we have forsaken our first love. Sometimes we can get so caught up in approval from man instead of God and we can start to worship the miracles instead of the miracle maker. It is not something we purposefully do. To forsake God, but it is easy for it to happen. Grace, have you opened it? Okay. Okay, wow. That hurts a little bit, but that's okay. You know, when I when I first met Phil. I won't go into too, too many details, but when I first met Phil, I had very little knowledge of him, but I had a whole lot of enthusiasm. I wanted to do everything I could to get to know him, to learn all about him, to spend all the time I could with him, to discover everything I could about him. But then the longer I knew him, things changed a little bit. It got to the point where I had a lot of knowledge of Phil, but not so much enthusiasm. But I'm happy to say now that with intention in my words and my actions, I now have both. I can honestly say that our relationship is way better now than it was 10 years ago. It's not always easy, on both parts, and in some seasons, honestly, it has been hard work. It takes commitment, and it takes dedication, along with both knowledge and enthusiasm. But you know, this can happen in our relationship with God as well. You know, when we are new Christians, we don't have lots of knowledge, but we have truckloads of enthusiasm. And we want to serve where we can. We're really eager to get to know Him and we immerse ourselves in church and serving. And so, my question this morning, one of my questions, is do you love God with the same fervour as when you're a new Christian? Sometimes, the longer that we have become a Christian, even though our knowledge grows, which is great and it should always grow but we lose our enthusiasm. It can just waver or it can just peter out completely. And all we're left with is knowledge. We can become tired, weary, and worn out. But can I just say that if you are feeling any of those things, that it is most likely from outside influences. When we come back to our first love, he promises he will give us rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight clearly tells us Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It is that simple, and if God makes a promise, he will keep it. If we come to him, he will give us rest. And so when we come to him, what are we bringing him? You know, if God is our first love, then surely what we bring him should be our best. I was reading Malachi the other day about how the people were bringing blemished sacrifices to God and I was so personally convicted. Is what I'm bringing to God blemished? Is it my best? Or is it the dregs left over after a long week? Have I compromised my best for comfort? Or am I just ticking boxes? I was really challenged over this and I've been searching my heart to make sure that what I do bring God is my very best. It's easy enough to justify that it's good enough, but if he is my first love, then what I bring him surely has to be my absolute best. For us as a church to do that all God is calling us to do, we have to have both knowledge and enthusiasm, and we have to bring him our absolute best. And for us to do all he's calling us to do, and to do it in his name, for his glory, then we have to come back to our first love. It is not just enough to be a good Christian. It is not enough just to attend church on a Sunday morning. It is not enough just to be a good person who stays away from blatant sin. We have to come back to our first love. Oh, are you opening it. Okay, so if we are to come back to our first love, how do we do that? How do we come back to our first love? How do we grow in spiritual maturity to grow in both knowledge and enthusiasm and to place Christ at the head of our lives in a very real way, not just professing it with our mouths but actually living it? This morning, like I said, I want to keep it quite simple. And I just want to give you three things that have helped me come back to my first love. Because if I was going to be really honest, there have been seasons in my life where he hasn't been. It's not that I was a bad person or that I was blatantly sinning. But I had lost sight of why I was doing what I was doing and who I was doing it for. I was so caught up in doing That I had lost my reason why. And if I was to be really honest, I had completely lost my enthusiasm. I was ticking all the boxes, but that is not what God is asking us to do. Coming back to our first love, for me is all about connection. So the first thing this morning that you need for connection and to get back to your first love is you need friends. Not just any friends. Unique good friends. I remember when I was in um, primary school. I had a really tight-knit group of friends, and we even came up with a name for ourselves. We were the cool cats. Yep. And anyone we didn't like, they were called the hot dogs. And we did everything together. We just you know I told them all my secrets. Like, I'm not sure what secrets I had at seven. But, you know, we would share everything together and we would eat jelly crystals together because that was a thing back then. And if I liked a boy, I'm not encouraging this, but they would encourage me. They would say, go talk to him. Go talk to him. You can do it. You can do it. And they would, they would push me into it. And if I was still too shy, they would say, write him a note and leave it in his desk. So I would do that. <laughs> Probably not the greatest plan. But these friends had my back. And now that I'm older, I still have friends like that. Thankfully, they're not pushing me to boys anymore, but they're pushing me towards God. they were like, come on, you can do it. We believe in you. I know you've got this. And if I'm still struggling, they were like, write a letter to God and leave it on his desk. Now, obviously, I don't do that literally. I keep them all in a journal now. But I have really good friends that speak into my life and encourage me to come back to my first love. I've got a group of friends that we all live in different cities and we Skype once a fortnight. And they are just so, so good for me. Some weeks they give me a virtual hug, which is what I need. Other weeks they give me a virtual slap, which is most probably what I need. But I know that no matter what happens, these girls have got my back. They are encouraging me and they are pushing me towards God. We all need friends like that. Ashley spoke the other Sunday night about mentoring and how, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And it is so true. Um, I've got a a lady in Hamilton who's like a spiritual mum to me. She's been mentoring me for years. And I know that I can call on her at any time and she'll make time for me and she'll she'll give me one of those mum hugs. You know, those ones that just... Tell you everything's going to be okay. If you missed Ashley's message, it's on our app. I really, really encourage you to go back and listen to it because it is such a vital part of our community and what God is doing. The second thing that helps me stay connected and keep Christ as my first love is connection with church family. That's you guys. You know, as an introvert, that is not always easy for me. Some weeks I would love to be home in my sweatpants. Oh, I just got these new ones from Kmart. <laughs> oh sorry, they're like twelve bucks and they are so fluffy. So get some with well, only nine dollars. That's even better. Nine dollars and there's oh they're so fluffy. But, you know, there, there is time for fluffy pants and Netflix. But fluffy pants and Netflix are not going to connect me with God. doesn't matter how many hours I spend in them. It is not going to help me connect with God. We need family. I love that family, that God doesn't do random or he doesn't do chance. I think I'm going to preach on this next time. I came up with this phrase. He has each one of us here for a purpose, a reason, and a season. God doesn't do random. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 tells us, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Each one of us. Not just the good-looking ones, not just the loud ones, not just the upfront ones, but every single one of us know exceptions. We need each other. We all make up the body of Christ and every single one of us is vital in this journey that God has us on. Because if I am an arm in his body, I cannot do the work of a foot or an eye. What I love about the body of Christ is that all of us bring something different to the table. You know, for years I used to think that I had to be more like Phil or more like the woman sitting next to me, or more like the person on the stage. And it's taken me a while, but God is showing me that I cannot be anyone else but me. I have to be me in this journey that God has called us on. You have to be you in this journey. He doesn't want seven arms and 12 legs, because that is not how the body works. Each one of us has a vital part to play. God has called each one of you here just as you are. For me to come back to my first love, I actually need every single one of you guys. If we are going to come back to our first love, then the best place to do that is within family. We all need each other. Some people are meant to encourage us. Some people are sent to challenge us. Keep my eyes down there, not looking at anyone. And some people are sent to keep us accountable, but everybody has a role to play. We have a covenant connection as a family, and that is something that, that, you know, Phil and I take really seriously. And so this morning, I want you to repeat after me. You ready? I say your name, am an important part of North End Church. I say your name am an important part of this family and I say your name am needed God needs me to be me and to play my part in this body amen Yeah, Grace, have you opened it? It's okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to take it personally, because I know what's in there, and if she won't open it soon, I will. Yeah, maybe it's fluffy pants. It is up to you how much you let people into your life and into your journey But can I encourage you to please, 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 please get connected. And not just on a Sunday. You know, join a book club. Join a life group. Find somewhere to serve, you know. Have people over for a meal. Invite someone out for coffee. There are a hundred different ways that you can get connected into our church family. So I encourage you this week, find at least one area where you can get connected. I believe that connection with others is key to coming back to our first love. An arm by itself, no matter matter how awesome that arm is, is no good without the rest of the body. The third way that we can connect and we can make God our first love is with God's word. Now, I know that this might sound really simple and obvious, but sometimes it is the last thing that we do. I remember when my kids were little and I was having a few um, <clears throat> parenting challenges and I remember going to a friend and I just remember bawling my eyes at it, going, oh, I've tried this and this and this and nothing's working and I'm a failure and I can't mum anymore. And she's like... <laughs> oh no, my kids were angels, it was more the, the parents, I think. <laughs> but I remember just sobbing to her, just going, I just can't do this anymore. And she's like, well, what did God say? And I was like, what? And She's like, what did God say? And I had to be really open and honest with her at that moment and say, you know what? I don't know because I haven't asked him. I haven't opened his word to find out what he would say to me. It was a big lesson learned. God has given us this most incredible book. It is filled with so much wisdom and revelation. I think that we could read it all day, every day, until we die, and we would still not exhaust the goodness, the revelation, or the wisdom of God. There is a season in my life where I honestly didn't think I needed my Bible. I was going to church every week. I was listening to worship music. I was listening to podcasts. I was staying away from blatant sin. Like, I wasn't a bad person. And I kind of figured I was was good without it. But what I learned is that I don't want to be good. I want to be great. And the only way that I can do that is with God's word. I was just like the church of Ephesus. Yes, I was doing good stuff. But I had forgotten my first love. I was being deceived and I was being disobedient and thinking that I didn't need it. I want to be all that God is calling me to be. And the fact is, I cannot do that without him being my first love. And he cannot be my first love if I don't know him. And the way I'm going to get to know him is through this. You know, I used to think, confession time again, I used to think that the Bible was boring and it was just a big old book of rules that I had to live by. And the more I dig into this, the more I realized how wrong I was. It is the most exciting love story you will ever read in your whole life. There are so many cool, cool stories in here. I remember when Jackson was quite a bit younger, he used to have these series of books and one was Heroes of the Bible and the other one was Gross Stories in the Bible. And we would lay on his bed for hours and read about all the gross things in the Bible. And he loved it. And he had this love for God's word from an early age because somebody had gone through and picked out all the gross stories. Like it was, (laughs) I'm thankful to that person. But you know, when you slow down, and you read God's word, he will reveal things to you. You'll read a story that you know in your head, that you got taught it at Sunday school, but the revelation will sink to your heart, and he will speak so, so clearly to you. He wants each of us on a journey with him, but that journey has to start with us picking up our Bible. I love getting lost in his word I love following his promptings, and I love going off on tangents with where he leads me. The other day, he took me on a wee tangent about pomegranates. So I'm not sure if you know or not, but Solomon built a great big temple, and he used hundreds and hundreds of pomegranates in his temple. And the, um, the chief, uh, the high priest, had pomegranates on their tunics. Um, pomegranates are written about in the Song of Songs, And some Jewish scholars believe that the pomegranate was the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. What I really love about the pomegranate the most is that a pomegranate has 613 seeds and the Torah has 613 laws in it. How cool is that? Oh, okay. (laughs) Maybe the revelation was just for me. Maybe you guys are not going to get excited about pomegranates. But I'm like, if I had not opened up and read about Solomon's temple, I wouldn't have gone on this, albeit silly, journey with pomegranates. Then I'm just going, oh my goodness, so cool. So next time you see a pomegranate, just think of me and my wee revelation. But seriously, when is the last time that you opened up your Bible? or swiped an app, or whatever you do? Is your Bible collecting dust on the shelf? Or maybe you have it on a coffee table so it gives the illusion to others that you're reading it. Maybe you're like Gracie this morning. You have this amazing gift, and yet you're too busy, or you'll get to it later. Or you just have no idea how amazing the gift is. Gracie has no idea what she's missing out on by not opening her gift. You know, I poured my heart and my soul into that gift. And as long as it sits unopened, she'll never know my heart. Are you like that with God's gift to you? You know, I always joke about me being God's favorite. And the fact is, I am. The fact is, you are as well. I love that God has the capacity that, you, that we are all his favourites. And because I'm his favourite, he has given me this. It is a personal love letter to me to show me how much he loves me and how much he adores me. And he has poured his heart and soul into this just for me. If I was the only one standing here this morning, he still would have done what he did so that I could have his love letter. I don't want you to miss what God has put in there for you. He's made it personal, he's made it relevant, and he's actually done it especially for you. But you're never going to know his heart for you if you don't open his word. You can listen to all the podcasts you want, you can listen to all the worship music, you can listen to all the sermons, but you are not going to get that personal revelation like you will when you open his word. If I'm going to put God at the top of my life, if he's going to be my first love, how can I do that without knowing him? How can I do that without knowing his promises for me? How can I, not, how can I do that without opening up his word? This is the greatest love letter that you will ever read. And God wrote it especially for you. Who's his favourite? The best way to come back to your first love is to open his word. So as I wrap up this morning, I wanted to keep it short and simple. I wanted to give you three ways that you can connect and get back to your first love. The first is that you need good friends in your life. The ones that will hug you when you need it and the ones that will slap you when you need it as well. Yeah, you need community. You know, God has called us together as family for a reason and for this season. And for God to be your first love, you have got to get into his love letter for you. So as I wrap up, I just want to leave you with a couple of questions. Have you forsaken your first love? Are you living a good life, but not a great one? Are you looking for approval from man instead of looking for it from God? Are you placing God at the top of everything, or are you working off your own agenda? Do you have really good friends that will speak openly and honestly into your life? Are you connected with church family? And most importantly, are you reading your Bible? I do not want us to be like the church in Ephesus who were doing great works and amazing things but they had forsaken their first love. I want us to be all that God is calling us to be and I want us all come back to our first love. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that we are your favorite. Father, we, we thank you that you sent your son on the cross to die for us. And Father, that is a love that we will never, ever comprehend. But Father, as we focus on you this morning, as we come back to our first love, Lord, would you draw us into your word? Would you highlight passages to us? Because you are a good, good God, because we are your favorites, you have written this love letter to each and every single one of us. Father, I thank you that you've called us as family. Lord, that we have a covenant connection with you and with each other, that you have called us to do life together. And that is such a privilege, Lord. God, in all that we do, may we honor you. May we glorify you. And may we always, always put you at the top of our lives. May we bring you our absolute best every time we come before you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.